Hi, it's Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus. I'm with a very old buddy today, someone I'm really pleased to hang out with for a bit. Isn't it great, Larry, when we get to hang out? Uh, it's so hard. We have a day-to-day lives that draw us away from each other, and then these wonderful events. In this case, Larry Brilliant, who has a new book, and uh, sometimes brilliant, but it's mostly brilliant, Larry. I love the book. I really did. And uh, so Larry is if with us today. Open up the book to page four. It says sometimes not so. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, <clears throat> I can't tell you uh, how it was. It, it's a bit of an acid flashback for me, especially the stuff in, in in the hate and all of that. And we've talked about this a long time ago. Remember, we have a, a mutual friend from the hog farm, Phil Lean. Do you remember that? And I asked you all about oh, yeah. Phil many years oh, yeah. ago. Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! So, for those of you that did you read the did you actually read the book? I actually read the book. Okay, I did some fast reading in parts. I did. It's over four (laughs) hundred pages, and I just got it yesterday. Okay, but um, yeah, it's pretty good. No, I'm a fast reader. Um, But um, so, for those of you who uh, who don't know, we always talk about Doctor Larry, and and many of you have gotten that book that we did last year by. My ex, Parvati Marcus, called Love Everyone, and there's a couple of stories in there from Larry as well. And of course, I think many of you will recognize Larry's name, especially in connection, of course, with Maharaji, but also with uh, the work that he did for WHO in uh, India, particularly to eradicate smallpox, which is a whole amazing uh, core part of this story that uh, that Larry relates and uh, so, uh, 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 just to let you know, Larry, when is, the book is going to be on and available when? So we can get right out with it here. Well, it's available now. Uh, you can order it on Amazon. Yeah. All of the books that are pre-ordered on Amazon will be shipped on October uh, 9th or 10th. And we, we would really love it if people pre-ordered it because they all count as if they were sold on the same day, October 11th, when it comes out. Okay, everybody, so help us out. Actually, you can go through the uh, Be Here Now Network portal, Amazon portal, which we hope you have Perfect. put right up on your bookmark so that whenever you order anything, either Larry's <laughs> book or a Frigidaire, one of the two, or both, uh, you will be you. You will get a little few shekels uh, that go to the uh, foundation and be here now. Network. I would order the Frigidaire then because it costs more. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little heavy to get in your house, but will it'll work. Uh, so, uh, Larry, um, well, there's so much here. There's no way in a, in this uh, in within a, an hour or so, whatever we get down here to really go through this uh, amazing, amazing amount of experiences and people that you've met. I, I, mean, I almost feel like I just, it's, it's just got to, it'll be a hodgepodge a little bit because there's things like, like some, you know, and I've known Larry obviously for a long time. We weren't in India together with Maharaji. I left with Ramdas just be, when you met him in Delhi I and, and then he left soon after that, and and a few of us, Ramesh and I, uh, we went and left at that time. So you came, and I think you came. It was more like spring, summer of '72 to actually to Kenshi. That's uh, right. Yeah. So that's we right. left. That's when we left. So, but we've known each other since then. 
Um, and I, Larry, just the very first part of the book is, of course, this whole what happened to you as a young man moving out to the way, being out in the West Coast and meeting the, the people that you did meet and the friends that you did make. And, and I think it's central to your whole story. You have to talk a little bit about Wavy Gravy, who's also a good friend of Ramdas's and, and very close to, to Larry and someone who I think is just extraordinarily important in the scene for what he has to, to offer. And there's, so yeah, just talk about uh, your meeting with Wavy a little bit. So uh, not, not everybody gets to say their best friend is a clown. Wavy's been my best friend for 40 years. Um, and I met him uh, when, uh, after I had lived on Alcatraz Island with a bunch of Native Americans who took over, I delivered a baby on Alcatraz. And then uh, after the baby was born. Which is a crazy story, I mean, on its own, right? Which is a crazy story. John Trudeau, right? Yeah, John John's baby, Wavoka. And uh, yeah, after the baby was born and uh, the Coast Guard evacuated us, uh, we landed at uh, Pier 43 or something like that. And it seemed like every uh, TV camera on the planet was aimed at my face and said to me, what do the Indians want? And I had never met an Indian until three weeks before. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> we had Chippewas. Uh, anyway, I had a wonderful time and spent uh, and had such a, um, I think my first real heart opening experience was living with the Native Americans in Alcatraz. And um, when I got off of the island, uh, they did all these TV shows and some of them, Warner Brothers saw me on television, called us up, called Girija actually, and, and asked me if I wanted to play the part of a young doctor in a movie, which turned out to be a terrible movie. The Medicine Ball Caravan. And uh, my first day on the set as both an extra in the movie and the company doctor, I did vaccinations for all the cast because we were going to be going to England. And I wound up vaccinating this guy for, for smallpox. Uh, and I looked at him and I noticed that he was wearing a duck bill hat where the bill was a real duck's bill. <laughs> and he had rainbow colored teeth because he had persuaded a dentist to put rainbow-colored caps on his mouth. So when he smiled, the room lit up with a rainbow. And between the duck bill and the psychedelic jumpsuit and the rainbow-colored teeth, I knew he was not like anybody I'd ever met before. <laughs> I could just tell. Mm. And uh, since that day until now, uh, we've been best friends. We just had dinner a couple of nights ago. He's... Um, He's amazing, uh, Wavy is, and um, and Girish and I ran away with the circus. Uh, I left my internship, and we got on the hog farm buses, and we were part of this movie. And then the movie ended with a Pink Floyd concert in in Canterbury, and then uh, Wavy said, "Let's keep going," and we got two more buses in London, and we drove from uh, London to Kathmandu. And we lived on those buses for two years, and it was amazing. Mm. Uh, we didn't know that we were going to India to meet Neem Crowley Baba. We just knew that we were going to India with the hog farm. And then uh, when we got to New Delhi, uh, you know, you, you, you remember those days, Raghu. You, you, you stop in Tehran or 
in Kabul. And the first thing you do is you go to the American Express office. So we went to the American Express office, but we had these two big funny colored buses parked in Connaught Circus. And we parked the buses and Wavy went in to get the mail for everybody. And who did he wind up standing in line behind? I mean, it's so improbable, but it was Ramdas. Mm. And Ramdas was just getting the first copy of Be Here Now. To bring they up were in the Maharaji these cardboard we boxes, three dollars yeah. and thirty-three cents, hmm. and um, Ramdas just got two copies. He hadn't seen it before. I mean, it just had arrived in Delhi. And he kept one copy and he gave the other copy to uh, to Wavy, and he inscribed it to Wavy Gravy and the Hog Farm, the Hanumans of the sixties. Oh, wow. And he brought it back to the bus, and we all sat around and we read Be Here Now, and we were hooked. There, um, first of all, just to reference Wavy for anybody out there who's not sure they remember Wavy and know who he is, he is, of course, famous for uh, what he did at Woodstock in 1969, where he saved a lot of people, a lot of suffering. He did an amazing thing, and that's really who he's been all all his life. Yeah. So uh, there is a great thing, uh, just referencing in the book... Uh, be here now. I want to just read a little. Uh, you say, this was one of the books credited with bringing the East to the West. It stopped violent political activism dead in its tracks for millions of young people all over the world who shifted their focus to the inner life. Right? To me, this this starts... The dialogue in the book, which uh, is is very uh, a core thing that you, that you've come out of all of this. Because uh, again, people, we're going to put everything about what uh, uh, Larry's done and who he's worked with and the kind of work that he does now. And uh, I I think the beginning, uh, the the or shall we say the the balance. Between, between doing social activism and continuing the dialogue with inner life. So I think an important core of this book for me was all of the realizations that you had on an ongoing basis of, of how to balance inner exploration with outer social action. And I think that first uh, statement... Uh, that first, those first lines around "Be Here Now," was sort of the dawning of this in the book. But there, uh, there's quite a number of instances, not to mention Maharaji himself talking to you uh, uh, about service and how to do service and the relationship of it. Um, to really change the world requires deep understanding. And humility, doing the hard work of systemic thinking, a keen awareness of how a particular system operates, and perhaps most important, an unwavering sense of what you alone are uniquely fit to do that will do the world a world of good. That, that's also a, a beautiful, uh, uh, wise quote. Can you just talk a little bit about the the conflict that is there? Because I remember back then, I particularly was not that interested. I mean, you know, I brought over people who were escaping the Vietnam War into Canada, where I lived, in Montreal. 
and I was against the war, of course, but I was not active in any way, and I was not active in the way many people, I mean, the hog farm was so active and out there feeding and helping people from the get-go, that was your calling. And mine was, as soon as I heard Ramdas, bang. Okay, yeah. how can I get my insides changed? Talk a little bit about that, that whole conflation for, for you. Well, it's interesting, when Seva got started, uh, the, the, that conflict came to the, the fore, uh, because there were people in Seva who wanted to be, and there were people in Seva who wanted to do. Uh, and we would often uh, argue about whether it was more important to have a sense of community and to do things with a spiritual intention, or that it was important to get shit done. And in our case, we were trying to give back the eyesight. And what was more important, to give back the most eyesight to the most people or to do it in the most spiritual way? And the fights became comical, where Nicole Grasset would say, and, and got into a big fight once with Ramdas. We, we call it the Clash of the Titans. Oh, really? And that's Nicole who, said. Uh, now that <laughs> I know said, her through the book, I'm like, <laughs> I remember Ramdas talking about this, you know, uh, just in, in she, the lower She life. said, What difference? What does it matter if I burn in hell, if I lose my soul for all of eternity, if one more child can see? And Ramdas would say, No, you don't understand. It, your soul is all that matters, nothing else is real. And so Ramdas would say, be here now, and uh, Nicole would say, do. And so we actually wound up with this chant, do, be, do, be, do, be, do. <laughs> and it became kind of the flippant way that we dealt with this perennial conflict between the contemplatives and the activists. Just look at nuns or look at Buddhist monks who are activists or who are meditators, the Vipassana crowd. Um, I think Seva tried to do both. And uh, what Maharaji told me that my job was, was to do both uh, and to do a kind of yoga, which is called Nishkam Karma Yoga, working in the world to alleviate suffering, but without any uh, attraction to my own fame or credit or even to the outcome. Mm -hmm. Here's where it gets hard. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say, you know, I will not take any credit. It's hard to say that when the master reads my soul, he will not find any ego there. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to say that I am not attached to the results. If the results are to eliminate smallpox, or the results are more children who are blind will be able to see. And how you deal with that internally is the, the spiritual quest that Nishkam Karma is so difficult. I mean, they're all difficult. All the yogas are difficult. You know, all the dharmas are difficult. We are always given our most difficult one, I think. That's part of the yeah. part of the game. Yeah. But this one was very hard for me to balance. How could I sit and have a mother hand me a baby who was dying of smallpox and say that I don't care whether or not we save that baby? Of course I care. I care tremendously. I if somebody can sit there, that's above my pay grade. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And Maharaji said that my job was to help Unmulan pull smallpox out by the roots, mm. which is English Indeed. word. Mm. There's a great part of the book, though, uh, a part of the story, 
in the book, where you go see Trungpa Rinpoche with Wavy. Or Wavy's, oh, yeah. Wavy's in a full body cast. And um, when I knew him, he was not in a full body cast. Uh, it was back in the day when we were in California. He would come visit Ramdas, but he was in a lot of pain. He had a lot of pain, back pain because he was beaten so much by the police for nonviolent protest. More, more fun for our culture. Um, but how he went there and he sat right in front, or he lay down right in front of Trungpa, yeah. and even he was like uh, smoking the cigarettes that were left in his. <laughs> ashtray and he was drinking whatever's left in his little flask or whatever uh that was so precious but yeah but, wavy, wavy was taking it at uh, trunkpa's drambui and his marlboros and um and every time trunkpa said you must become an enlightened being wavy was said absolutely boss whatever you say i'll do nothing except meditate day and night until i'm enlightened but while i'm at it Let's get rid of the hunger in Bangladesh because those people need food. Mm. And Trungpa would say, no, you don't understand. First, you have to do Hinayana, then, then you have to do Mahayana, then you do Tantrayana, then you can feed the people in Bangladesh. And Wavy said, I agree with you completely, boss. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to do Hinayana, and then Mahayana, then Tantrayana. But while I'm at it, in those little crevices of time, when I'm not sitting and meditating, Let's raise some money and have a concert for Bangladesh because yeah. those people are starving. Yeah. yeah, so precious. Great. But let me read from what uh, you got out of the meat of Trumpa's talk. I know you are well intentioned. I guess he's he's saying, of course, he's directing this to Wavy and, and and all of you. Whether you are already Buddhist or or you are devoted to another religion, or even if you are hippies or anti-war and civil rights activists. I know you mean well, and I know you want to do good in the world, but I want you to know that you can't do anything of lasting benefit for anyone until you first reach a level of spiritual awareness that brings you enough wisdom so that you don't go 100 miles per hour in the wrong direction and end up doing harm. Before you can really help with anyone else's suffering, you first begin the path towards your enlightenment by addressing your own suffering. Pretty good from Trungpa. It's pretty, pretty much what Ramdas represents these days. Whenever, and I'm sure when he was doing the work with you at Seva, at the same time, for sure. Yeah, but Ramdas, Ramdas changed over time. I mean, uh, in the beginning of Seva, Ramdas didn't feel he had a role model for working in the world. He had a role model for being spiritual. And then at, at the first year that Seva was started, Ramdas rediscovered Mahatma Gandhi. And he realized that here was a role model of someone who could be 100% spiritual and 100% in the world, working for the alleviation of people right now uh, as well as the alleviation of spiritual suffering. And I think that's what brought the two parts of Ramdas back together. And he'll tell you that if it weren't for that encounter with people who he, he knew to have pure hearts, like Nicole or Bill Fagy or Steve Jones, these, these are epidemiologists, public health doctors. Ramdas looked at them and said, what motivates you? Who's your guru? And they would say, we don't have a guru. We're just committed to alleviating suffering. And he said, well, how can that be? 
I mean, if you're not getting it from the Dhammapada or the Bhagavad Gita, where are you getting it from? Well, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> and Mother Teresa and then these other people became uh, important, I think, teachers for Ramdas also. And um, mm -hmm. I think when the HIV-AIDS epidemic came up, it was Ramdas who was on the front line. He was there serving people with food and helping get medicine for them. That, that may not have been what he would have done five years earlier. And however we get to it, you know this, Raghu, I mean, we, we all come to our lives from so many different paths. Maybe we come from a traditional religious path, or we come from a spiritual experience we've had that just made us stop in our tracks. Or we're trying to do the greatest piece of art that we can do, because it will be transformative. Or we've got a medical or legal or other kind of calling. At some point in our lives, they come together. And our spiritual tradition infuses the work that we do. And the work that we do infuses our spiritual work. Mm. And that's the magic for me. And, and that, that's, that's what happened to me in India. You know, we, we were the luckiest, and we are, Giraj and I, the luckiest people in the world. I would work five days a week at uh, the World Health Organization in New Delhi. This is early on, before I got to go to the field. And I'd work on setting up programs for smallpox eradication in Bangladesh or in Burma or in Indonesia. And then I would spend the weekend and drive up to Kenshi and Maharaji would quiz me. He would say, hey, what's going on in Indonesia with smallpox? And, and everybody else had been talking to Maharaji just Dharma words. He was talking to me epidemiology. <laughs> How, how's the government of India helping you? And I say, oh, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Well, who do you need help with? I said, well, we're having trouble in Uttar Pradesh. He'd say, bring me a paper. <laughs> and he wrote a letter to the governor of Uttar Pradesh, introducing me, saying, help him eradicate smallpox. Uh, his name was Akbar Ali Khan, not Ali Akbar Khan. Khan Saab, Sahita DGA, give him help. This is God's will. Sign Nimkroli Baba. Wow. I mean, he did this with uh, uh, Shankar Dal Sharma, who was the president of India, wrote him a letter that help eradicate smallpox. This is God's will. <laughs> it was a side of Maharaji that I don't think a lot of people had seen. I had never seen before. Hmm. It was pretty amazing. Hmm. Well, it certainly goes along with feed everybody when somebody would ask what they should See, do. that's the thing. It's exactly what he said. He always said, love everybody and feed everybody and serve them. But, but I think sometimes people only heard the love everybody. And, and to feed them and to serve them, you have to grow the food and distribute the food. And you have to serve the food. And it's the whole, it's all of it together. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, when Larry, Larry talks about Girija, Girija is Larry's wife. And she has an extraordinarily important role in this film, in this movie. And, uh, and that's what I want to get into a little bit, because uh, I have to say, in Love Everyone, again, referencing Love Everyone, and when people would ask me about Love Everyone, and I'd tell them, well, it's all of our story, getting to India, and our experiences there, and what it made of us. When they say, well, can you, in a nutshell, can you say what it's like to be with Maharaji? 
I would tell Larry the story. I would tell your story, Larry. Because, uh, and I don't want to sort of um, ruin the punchline here, so I won't, because I really want to get in the book, because there's such detail, even though I've known these stories forever, and I've known your story, we know each other's stories, there is such extraordinarily and wonderful writing, Larry, of, of really connecting. With, it connected me in a way like I never heard the story. Okay, it was that powerful. But I'm going to jump off. Uh, so Larry went back. Uh, Girija stayed in India with Maharaji. Larry had not met Maharaji. He went back to America, and Girija was writing him saying, you must come over and meet Neem Karoli Baba. And Larry was still, was is it uh, fair to say, a little bit skeptical of gurus and all of that kind of stuff? Is that fair? Oh, com- completely. I was a scientist. I still yeah. am a scientist. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, but he loved his wife. So this is a love story, a real love story. Loved his wife so dearly that he was going to do whatever he had to do to fulfill her desire to see him there with her her guru by then so here you know fast forward larry gets there and um meets and and his his wife uh, maharaji said his wife dr larry's coming you know whatever and meets maharaji what happened when you first met maharaji take it from there and i'll maybe prompt you a little but this is the wonderful part well, it, it, there's two parts, the, the part of what I saw and the part of what he did. <laughs> uh, I mean, first time I saw the satsang, but because when we came down to Kenshi the first day, the satsang was already there and everybody was around Maharaji. And there was this scrum of people climbing over each other to get close to him to touch his feet, which was not my thing. <laughs> it felt weird. And then they all wanted to get close to him. And I, I couldn't see him because he was so surrounded by all these Westerners. And then I saw him and it looked like all of a sudden everybody else was in black and white and Maharaji was in Technicolor. Everybody else was a, a still photo and Maharaji was a video. And he was frenetic. He was moving at a pace and a yeah, never seen anything like that. I mean, it, it and, and I wasn't stoned and, and I was looking at it seemed like this was sort of like a, a psychedelic trip, but it, it was only a psychedelic trip for the frame that he was in. Everybody else was just kind of there. And I couldn't, it just, I didn't have a, any point of reference. I had never met anybody like, like him. And I thought he was going to, because Giriji kept on saying, Maharaji wants you to come, Maharaji wants you to come. Maharaji says, bring the doctor, bring Dr. America, which was the name that he had given me. And uh, so I thought when I got there, he was going to say, Dr. America, (laughs) welcome. But he ignored me completely for a week. (laughs) And every day I'd go there and he was still electric. But I was not so sure that I belonged there. And I was pretty sure after a while I didn't belong there. And that he might be electric. And I didn't know who he was. And Girija thought that he was the closest thing to God that she had ever experienced. And I had no reason to doubt that, but it, it just, it wasn't, it, it wasn't working for me. And I decided that, I, you know, and I knew that if I left, 
I left Maharaji, if I left Kenshi, I would be leaving Garija. Mm. And I really didn't want to leave Garija. So I kept prolonging it and prolonging it. And, and one day, uh, I, uh, and this story is in Miracle of Love, and people have read this. I don't want to repeat. But one day I was so despondent, I told Garija I wasn't feeling well, and I wasn't going to go down to the ashram. And I rented a little tiny rowboat, took it out on Nanital Lake, and I was feeling terrible. I mean, I was feeling like either my wife was captured by a cult or she had found God, but it wasn't for me. And what did that mean about me? And I, I tried to find pretty things to put into my consciousness. I mean, I, I'd go to the, the shore and I'd find a, you know, flower, beautiful. I almost tried to open up my head and put anything beautiful in. I was so dark and despondent. And I, I started for the first time in my adult life to pray. I wasn't sure how to pray. I, I mostly just recited by rote, you know, what I remembered from my bar mitzvah or the Omani Panihong or Ram Ram or, you know, any Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me. Whatever I could think of, I heard. And nothing worked, and I kept on asking Maharaji or God or whoever was listening for a sign, a small miracle. Only I needed to see it. It didn't have to be a big rainbow in the sky. It could have been a little rainbow in an oil slick. I would have been happy, but nothing. And uh, that went on for a whole day, and I felt um, I was getting no answer, and I didn't belong there. And I, I told, well, I didn't even have to tell Gary. She knew said, I'm going to leave tomorrow. Hmm. And she said, uh, will you go down and say goodbye to Maharaji? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm not without manners. Hmm. And the next morning, we, as luck would have it, you know, we got up early. We got the first taxi. I had all my bags packed. They were in the taxi. We went down to Kenshi. I told the taxi driver to wait. I didn't think I'd be there long. And we sat in front of Maharaji's tucket. And you remember, he used to burst out like an opera star or like uh, we used to think of Loretta Young in those days. And he would just burst out of these double doors. And, and we sat by the tucket and uh, the villagers had organized a lot of fruit and flowers and made a mandala and put it on his tucket to spell out the name of Ram in, in Hindi. Mm. And... One apple from that mandala had fallen on the ground, and God's name was incomplete. And I didn't, I didn't feel like this was my scene, but I didn't think it was right that God's name in any religion or any language should be incomplete. So I reached down to pick up the apple, thinking I would just complete the mandala and restore God's name. And Maharaji burst out, jumped up, landed on my hand, pressed my hand down to the ground, which was exactly what I didn't want, which was to touch his feet. <laughs> and I was pinned down, and I felt like he weighed a ton. I couldn't get my, couldn't get my hand out. It was like I was trapped like, you know, like a butterfly that had a pin and a wing or something. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't let me go, and he started teasing me. And he said, oh, Dr. America. First time he ever said Dr. America. Oh, you weren't here yesterday. Where were you? Oh, were you horseback riding? Were you mountain climbing? 
Were you in an airplane? Oh, yes. Were you, were you swimming? And then, then he looked, and all this was in Hindi. And then he looked down at me and he looked right into my eyes and he said, were you at the lake? And he said that in English. And I started, my body started just tingling and vibrating. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't, I didn't know what I was feeling. And he said, what were you doing at the lake? Did you go swimming? And that lake was so polluted. It was green. I mean, nobody would ever have gone swimming. What were you doing at the lake? Oh, were you talking to God? And that was it. I mean, I was cooked. My brain was not working. He said, oh, did you ask for a sign? And I was finished. I mean, I was just like, I couldn't even, I started to cry like a little baby. And he reached over and grabbed my beard. And he started playing with my beard and slapping me across the face. Dr. America was asking for a sign. Dr. America, did you get your sign, Dr. America? <laughs> and I'm crying. And then... All the rest of the satsang who had been watching this thing from around started coming up and hugging me. And, and I thought, this is, you know, of course, it was the only experience I had ever had like that. And what I didn't realize is that everybody there had had their equivalent of that experience. And that what we had been taught was the guru would do an initiation and there would be this... I always thought that meant we'd light a candle or we'd go into a temple. But that was my initiation, that moment mm. when he, and and I sat there and, you know, I, I could just feel, he closed his eyes, he, he started doing japa with his fingers on a mullah of flowers saying ram, ram, ram. And then he did that thing with his fingers where he would take the thumb and, and touch the little knuckle of his baby finger and then. He started going ram, 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 ram. And I was looking at him and I realized he loves everybody in the world. But, but that was sort of his job. He's our guru. And I, I wasn't surprised that he loved everybody in the world. What surprised me was that in that moment, I loved everybody in the world. I didn't even know that I had a control panel that had a button that you could press that would say, love everybody in the world. But he had found my control panel. Mm. He pressed that button. And in that moment, when I knew that I loved everybody in the world, that's when I knew that I was home mm. and I belonged there. Yeah. And of course, that's the, uh, when I said, I don't want to ruin the punchline, that is the punchline. And that is whenever anybody asks me, well, what did you get out of that experience of being in India? And and I, I succinctly tell Larry's story very, and get right to that point. But uh, it's uh, it it's clearly what stuck with us. Like I, I I mean, you know, Larry and I see each other like physically. We talk from time to time or Skype or whatever. But it might be years before we actually see each other in that way and. It's just the level of instantaneous and complete um, being in the moment with each other as if there, no time has passed, no time and space is, is really extraordinary. I was just telling Ramdas yesterday, uh, we did a little session, 
And I said, I, w- I was at the Massachusetts Bandara. I haven't been there. And in, in, yeah. on the East Coast, they have, of course, Maharaji's ashram in Taos. And then they have, uh, they have a Bandara on the East Coast for the East Coast people who don't want to travel. And I hadn't been there in a long time. And there was people I hadn't seen literally in 20 years or more. And, and to be in the moment with them just instantly, uh, it was an extraordinary experience. And something I said to Ramdas because we were talking about gratitude. I said, talk about gratitude and thankfulness to be able to have that kind of a moment stemming from the moment that you just described. That same moment uh, spans these enormous, these decades. I mean, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. Now, there's something I want to, you to read. Do you have one of your books there, by the way? I do. I, do you mean this book? One of that. Yeah, hold that book up. That's good. Let right me see. Wait, wait, wait. How does that work? How's that? <laughs> That's beautiful. That's so weird. Okay, That's Larry. The thing. Yeah. I, I'm not really happy with my picture on the cover of oh, the book. I think, I think it's only a, half of my picture. Yeah, but there's a creative kind of, uh, it leads you to in. It leads you in. That's what they what were talking about. What page? Page 112. 112? 112, yeah. If you can read from... What astounded me more than anything is it's 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 a little bit of what you were saying, but the way that you described it here, if you don't mind reading that to the end of this chapter. What astounded me more than anything then was not that he loved everyone in the world. It was in that moment I loved everyone too. I loved Girja for her patience with me, the Westerners in the ashram who had annoyed me. The colleagues who had stuck a hypodermic needle in my picture the first day of my internship in San Francisco. Hmm. My parents, in a way I never thought I could. Politicians, anti-war protesters, the cops who had beaten Wavy Gravy in Chicago, Hmm. friends and enemies, myself and all the others. I was in love with love, with the moment, with Maharaji, even with my own bursting heart. Maharaji had lifted the veil of Maya, the illusion that makes us all feel separate and alone. When he did, he took me to a place where I forgave everything and everyone, including myself, and found nothing but love. This was real magic. I didn't worry about being accepted or whether the ashram harbored a cult or my marriage with Girija. And then without a care, I touched his feet. I do not know what prompted me to do it, but I felt like I was connected to electrical cables that were plugged into the wiring of the universe, and it triggered something in me. This was the first time I felt that powerful love, certainly the first time I felt it without a psychedelic like LSD coursing in my body. And I felt it many times since with no drug other than love. It blew away my intellect and blew my guarded heart wide open. That moment in which I found myself awash in a tsunami of love for every being in creation became the touchstone by which I measured every future experience and a state to which I constantly yearned to return. At the heart of it is divine love. That moment of pure bliss, pure love, has driven everything in my life, 
That is what I keep coming back to. Love. Love for everyone. I fail hundreds of times every day. Millions, actually. But the aspiration alone changed everything about me. It made me act unpredictably. I was governed by love. It made me ambitious in a different way. I had no context for the experience. I knew it was a gift, but I didn't yet know what I was supposed to do with it. Hmm. That's pretty wonderful. It says a lot in, in, the, in a few words. I, I think, you know, a lot of what we do here you know, at the Be Here Now Network is try and pass along these kinds of offerings that uh, that can help because we're no different than anyone else. We we had, and yours is a perfect example of the cynicism you went there with and and, uh, and what happened. Uh, the, the, of course, that's a lot of grace to have what happened happen. But uh, but I think any, everyone who's had, as you say, we all have experience of that love that, or that in, in that ineffable that uh, un, uh, the love that doesn't require anything in return is probably a simple way to talk about unconditional love as well. But how that informed, as you say here, the rest of your life or all of your life, uh, that's a lesson for all of us to allow that to happen. I think that's a, a really, really important and uh, appreciate you putting the way you express it in the book, Larry. Um, from here, of course, what happened is the extraordinary story, which you'll, you'll have to read in the book because this, this, this book's over 400 pages, so there's a, there's a lot going on here. Uh, but the extraordinary story of Maharaji introducing Larry to the concept you're going to cure smallpox by the root, as uh, Larry mentioned before. But the insane thing is, I don't, I don't remember you ever, it's a lot of times that you went down to Delhi, because Maharaji, what, he kept told, telling you, go down to Delhi and tell him, you're here to eradicate smallpox, get a job, right? <laughs> what, uh, but a lot of times, what was, I mean, there must have been after a half a dozen times, something in your head that went, this is crazy. I can't, I can't. Oh, yeah. What was, so what was going on inside you at that point? Well, it was cartoonish. <laughs> I mean, it was preposterous. Here's the World Health Organization that, you know, I've always looked up to in those days and to, you know, to work for WHOs, to work for the United Nations, and to be a diplomat, a UN diplomat. And uh, they hired experts, professors. I was 27, 28. I, this is my first job out of medical school. I mean, you know, I had just finished my internship, and I jumped on the bus. I ran away with the circus. I wasn't fit to work for the United Nations and WHO. And Maharaji said that I would. And every time, and the first time I showed up, it was right from the ashram. So I still had on kurta and pajamas, and I had a beard down to the middle of my <laughs> butt and hair down to the middle of my butt. <laughs> I was, I, I looked pretty weird. And I walked in the door, and there's everybody else wearing a suit and tie and buttoned up, and the nice Norwegians and, you know, the English, and everybody was very formal. And I walked in, and they said, what are you here for? And I said, well, my guru who lives in the Himalayas 
said that I'm supposed to work for WHO for you, and God is going to eradicate smallpox. This is his gift to humanity because of the hard work of all the dedicated health workers. And they would say, well, thank you very much for coming. <laughs> Kick me out, of course. And then I'd go back up to Kenshi, and Maharaji would say, did you get your job yet? Did you get your job yet? I'd say, no, Maharaji. Not going to get a job there. He said, go back. I said, okay, no, now, go back. <laughs> and Kirj and I would get on the next bus, train, rickshaw, you know, more than a dozen times. I I actually lost count. I, I used to say that it was 17 times. I have I, just a, a lot of times, more than that. It's a hellacious and, uh, after trip, a while, by the way. You know, it's a hellacious what? trip from Kenchi to Delhi. I just want everybody, back then, any of you try going to India and take the bus and and follow that uh, route that Larry I mean we're not just talking about oh yeah well we went down so you know no problem you get on the plane you fly down or on a train even you know big problem so uh, yeah you're lightly saying that it, it, but could, it, it was sometimes 17 hours i mean you could it could easily be and if you go two day two times in one day as marshy would send me to do something it's a long day. Um, but after a while, I, you know, I, I sort of, I mean, it, I'm, I'm dumb, but not that dumb. And, and after a while, I started cutting my hair and trimming my beard. And, and the barmans lent me a, a suit and a, an awful tie and, and ill-fitting pants. And I'd walk in, I, and they'd still kick me out because and, and, I had no... I had no background. I'd never seen a case of smallpox. I'd never been to work in a village. You know, what I knew of India in those days was the the visa office and the Kenshi ashram, and that was it. Uh, and they and all of a sudden, you know, I'm supposed to be working in WHO, being an expert, telling the government of India what to do. No, it was crazy. There was no chance. And it kept on like that for a long time until uh, one day um, Maharaji said, uh, go, go to WHO right now, right this minute. I said, Maharaji, I, I think I've been three times this week already. <laughs> go right now. It's important. And I walked in the door like I had before. And the woman who uh, was the receptionist, Mrs. Edna Boyer, she was so nice to me every time. She never, never laughed at me. A lot of the Indians laughed at me. And, or they would sing dum da dum because Girish and I had been in this in this movie, this hippie movie, and so they would tease me, but not Mrs. Boyer. She was always so nice to me. And she said, um, there's another American here. I want you to meet him. And she introduced me to this tall, sturdy American who looked like a football coach. And he said, who are you? What are you here for? I said, well, you know, I'm a doctor from America, and I've been living in an ashram. My guru who lives in the Himalayas <laughs> says that I'm supposed to work for the World Health Organization and work for the smallpox program. And this is God's gift to humanity. I gave him my rap, and I said, who are you? He said, well, I'm the head of the smallpox program from Geneva. We don't actually have a smallpox program in India yet. But uh, I'll keep you in mind, and then... I stayed there for a while that day, and Mrs. Boyer said that Nicole Grasset, who was the person who was tasked with starting a smallpox program for WHO, 
that she wanted me to come up to her office. So I went up to her office and I had met her before. She was a French Swiss doctor, this amazing, energetic, wonderful woman. And she said, I just thought since you keep coming here, we ought to put an interview on the record. And here's Dr. D.A. Henderson. He's the head of the smallpox program. And he's going to interview you. And this is the guy I just met downstairs and told him about Maharaji. And, and he interviewed me. And uh, 10 years later, when he sent me back to turn off the lights after we had closed the program and eradicated smallpox, he, uh, he asked me to get all the records and the files and to microfilm them. And I, I went through them and I, I shipped them to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I was a professor then because there was a microfilming company there. And I went through all the records and you're not supposed to do this, but I did. I couldn't help myself. And I found the interview that he did with me on that day that Maharaji had sent me and said, go there immediately. And his interview said, a note for the record, I have today interviewed a young man named Larry Brilliant. He says he's a doctor. He <laughs> doesn't look like one. Seems like a very nice young man. Maybe one day he will work in global health, um, but we have no job for him. There's no program and he has no experience. And besides, he appears to have gone native. <laughs> 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 and DA died uh, three weeks ago. Oh, really? And he was my mentor for 40 years. And uh, wow. this book is the first book that I've written. I've written other, lots of books on smallpox and lots of things about smallpox. This is the first book I've written, first anything I've written about smallpox, that DA did not proofread every word. He would go through each word, and, and he, he had a copy of the draft on his, on his desk when he died. Wonderful man. Wow. Unbelievable, really. And Maharaji, not only did he say smallpox would be eradicated, he also said that, didn't he say something about... Uh, so, so the, yeah, you asked, Maharaji, his, his exact words were, smallpox will be quickly eradicated. This is God's gift to humanity because of the hard work of dedicated health workers. That's what he said. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when he said those words, Girish and I wrote them down in our diaries. We, we had our, like all of us, we had our spiritual diaries, and we wrote that down in Hindi. We got it translated by Barman and Sony and, and uh, Ravi Khanna and Dada mm -hmm. just to make sure we had it right. Then we printed it up and put it on a postcard, and we sent it out to all of our friends because we were afraid that we would get it wrong. Mm. Or that and maybe also we were a little, how could this possibly be that this guru living in the Himalayas is predicting, prophesizing that smallpox will be eradicated. Mm. And WHO is saying they don't have a program yet. Yeah. And the government of India is saying, well, a lot of Indians were saying you know, smallpox would never be eradicated. It, it, was, it was an unpopular point of view that you could eradicate a disease forever. Right. That a disease that has been there since the pharaohs, that was 3,000 or 10,000 years old, that had killed half a billion people in the 20th century, 500 million, more than all the wars in the 20th century, more than the Holocaust and the First World War and the Second World War and the Spanish flu and the Cambodian genocide and the Armenian genocide all put together, mm. more were killed wow. by smallpox. Wow. 
And it, it, you know, my favorite slide when I became a professor was to show a picture of two dozen kings and queens, prime ministers and emperors who had died of smallpox. And it wasn't my favorite slide because I'm gruesome or that I don't like kings or queens. But it was to remind us now that we live in a world where there's such a great disparity between the rich and the poor, that no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how powerful you are, when there is a virus that can kill people and you don't have a vaccine or you don't have an antiviral, we're all the same DNA. We're much closer to being the same person than we know. We're all susceptible and no amount of wealth and no amount of power as Buddha taught can separate us from old age, suffering and death and nor could it save you from smallpox. Yeah. And so, so that reminds me that we're all in it together. Mm. And that when Maharaji said, sub ek, he said, we are all one. He would say sub ek about religions. They're all the same. He would say that about races, sub ek. He would say that about being susceptible to death, sub ek, over and over again, all one. We're all the same. We're all in it together. And that's what public health really is. Mm. It, it is the health of the public. We're all in it together. So it really wasn't such a big jump for him to send me into a career in public health in, in retrospect. It sure seemed like it at the time. <laughs> but still, never mind. Totally amazing. Totally amazing. Um, okay, well, I want let, to, let's, uh, we're, we're close to closing, but I, I, I just have to have one story that I read in this book and fell over, okay? It was like, what? His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, meeting him where you were looking for a room, right? Somewhere in, the nor in northern India. Just briefly tell that little story. It's just the most beautiful vignette. I, I, the publisher at one point wanted to uh, uh, call the book Sleeping with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be misunderstood. Yes, maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, th there was a day that Gerridge and I had the worst day of our life. Um, and we lived in India for 10 years. I lived in little villages all over, five, over 500 districts and thousands and thousands of babies have died in my arms or in the villages that I was visiting. So a bad day is a bad day. Yeah. for us. But this day we were sent to go investigate uh, uh, a couple of dozen cases of smallpox in a very remote village on the border between Madhya Pradesh and Maharashtra. It's actually a place called Kahani in a district called Sioni. It's the place that Rudyard Kipling wrote about mm. in the Jungle Books. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that really for 20 years after. And we had to go to a village by walking under a, 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 like a, what's the right to say, a canopy of, of very tall trees. And a lot of uh, white langurs, monkeys, were in the trees. And for some reason, the monkeys didn't like us, and they pissed on me. And then they started taking their own feces and throwing shitballs at us. And I'm thinking, does this mean Hanuman doesn't like what I'm doing? Because <laughs> they're called Hanuman monkeys. And we were covered with monkey piss and poop and 
we got to the village and um, and took care of the, the cases, which turned out to be chickenpox, thank God, not smallpox. And then there was no place to sleep except uh, an abandoned little hut, and it had no water, and there was no, there had been a drought, we couldn't wash the poop off of us. So we slept in our clothes, covered with, I mean, we just, it, the, the, the night began unpleasant, and then when the bed bugs came and started biting <laughs> us, it was worse. And then the fleas. Oh, and then we went outside and the mosquitoes. It was a bad night. Very bad. And so Very we, bad. We, the morning we woke up and we just wanted to go someplace where we could take a shower or a, a pail of water bath. And we were driven to this uh, circuit house, it's called. It's like a a government-owned house for the judges who go on circuit. And the the reservation simplest, reservation process is simple. The bigger sahib trumps the smaller sahib. Yeah, right. And I had a UN jeep, so I was entitled to stay there. Girija got there. We, we went into the room. We got undressed. We took buckets of water. They weren't, wasn't hot water, but it, any water was great. We were scraping off the monkey shit and cleaning ourselves up and uh the uh the chokidar knocked on the door and said you'll have to leave immediately there's a a bigger boss has come bigger boss yeah. and you're being evicted <laughs> and i mean we felt we were not it was it had been a really bad day <laughs> we just wanted to go to bed we were so tired but we were just stepping out of the the shower out of the the bath the area where you were putting a a bucket of water on you, not really showing. And Girija was barely covered with a, a towel, and the doors opened up, and the Dalai Lama walked in. Oh, that's so great. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible that it happened. Uh, but he was in Maharashtra visiting a group of Tibetan refugees who had a settlement nearby. And he had visited, he had done his job. The Dalai Lama goes to sleep, you know, by 6 o'clock every night. He wakes up at 4 in the morning, I mean... He's not a night owl. Hmm. And uh, so he was brought in. This was the only room in this circuit house. And this room was given to him. And he walked in and Giriji was covering her, covering herself and up. And I was just, my hair was wet and I was wet. And I looked at him and I, and he looked. And then he looked at his retin, retinue that was with him. And he looked at us. And within a second, he just understood everything that had happened. And he said in English, we can share. Ugh. And it was, so a long story, it was a long night, um, but we, it was two single beds that had been bound together to make yeah, a larger yeah. bed. And Girija was in the farthest possible corner, so she <laughs> couldn't come anywhere close to it. Oh, a mouth. And I was in the middle. And, um, you know, he, he said, what are you doing here? And I told him about Maharaji, and he had, yeah, I vaguely had heard about him, Curly Baba, and I told him about smallpox. And then he started, he said, you mean Ladrup? Which was the Tibetan name for smallpox. And he said, oh, when I was a young Dalai Lama, there was a terrible outbreak of smallpox in Lhasa. And they wanted to make sure that I lived. And there were four sects, the Galupas, the Nyingmas, the Kargus, and they all wanted to make sure that I took their medicine, mm. their vaccination, 
and each one of them vaccinated me. And so I have these four vaccination marks on my arm. I've seen And I was so taken by these four vaccination marks and a story of of smallpox. And all my life I had wanted to meet the Dalai Lama and ask him the meaning of life. And I had him there. And we were in a room. (laughs) But I was distracted. Mm. And we fell asleep with him telling stories about smallpox and the children who had died. And we woke up. There's a knock on the door. It was his retinue, and they said that he had to leave. And I said, wait, one more question about the meaning of life. And he said, (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye. Extraordinary, extraordinary story. My God, Grace. Wow. I love that so much in the book. So thank you, Larry. This has been absolutely wonderful. This book is so wonderful, folks. It absolutely is just, uh, it's informative. It's got so much pathos and so much uh, of a real life lived uh, as well as the accomplishment and the story of that accomplishment is just uh, pretty staggering. So sometimes brilliant, Larry brilliant. Larry now runs the Skoll Foundation. Uh, tell exact global. I, I don't. I don't run the Skoll Foundation. I'm. I'm chairman of a sister organization, the Skoll Global Threats Fund. Okay. And I don't yeah. run that either. I'm. I re, I retired as CEO. I'm. I'm the chairman. Okay. We have a wonderful CEO, and I don't want her to feel that I'm taking her job back. Oh, okay. That's my fault. Don't worry. Larry, though, has been. Uh, continues and has been continuing the same work for all of these years in, in different guises. That's more of uh, what the reality is. And uh, again, thank you, Larry. I really appreciate you being here thank on you. Mind Rolling. This is the Be Here Now Network. Uh, when you go to the page, we're going to link up the book. You're going to be able to easily find how to get it. And of course, we appreciate if you go to our Amazon link that you hopefully have uh, bookmarked and uh, pre-order the book or buy the book. And Larry, let's do this again. Thank you. Thank you.